Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on today's podcast are my friends Alex and Irene Barrow. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, we're going to, this couple, we're going to talk, and Alex is going to share his story as a gay Latter-day Saint. This is a couple that's married. They've been married for 30 years. Um, Alex teaches in the Seminary Institute um, system. He'll talk more about that. He's been in that system for 26 years, teaching at the high school level. And they've began to share their story over the last period of time with Alec being gay. And he is just willing to share this on the podcast. And I'm really honored. We said a prayer before we started. And our hope is that this story will help us come together as the body of Christ. I love Elder Cook's quote from General Conference. He talks about unity and diversity. And I think that's where we're moving as Latter-day Saints is be able to embrace our diversity and look at it as an asset and bring us together as the body of Christ. Um, this wonderful couple has five kids, two married kids, a, an engaged kid, one grandbaby, and as I may have mentioned, celebrates 30 years of marriage later in 2021. Um, Irene is a spe- speech-language pathologist um, working with charter schools here in Utah. And Alec, as I mentioned, is works in seminaries and institute and also is a licensed therapist. I met with this couple several months ago, and they made a great impression on me of just a wonderful couple, um, deep love and understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, a wonderful, authentic marriage, and doing so much good. Um, And part of their next chapters of their life is sharing their story, which um, I think we're all ready for. So is that okay for an introduction? Yes, that's a great introduction. Thank you. How did I do on pronouncing your name? Beautifully. Will you tell our listeners exactly how to pronounce it? Irene. Irene. And Alec is Alec. It is Alec, yeah, with a C. With a C. Um, So go ahead, Alec, maybe you can just start. Uh, Well, thank you. We're we're very excited to be here. Um, I do have a couple things I wanted to share at the beginning. Um, We're uh, recording this just a few days before Easter. For those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, uh, this week is Holy Week. It's the week of atoning sacrifice. Friday is Good Friday, and Easter is going to be Sunday. Irene and I are believers. We confess Jesus Christ. We love him, and we have testimonies that he is the Son of God. One of the quickest ways that I know to get Irene expressing emotion is to get her talking about our children. And the other way I know is to get her talking about Jesus Christ appearing to Joseph Smith. She will cry every time. Um, She loves the Joseph Smith story. Irene first heard the story as a young girl in Italy when she was 14 years old. Um, She was the same age as Joseph was when he spoke and saw God, spoke with God. Um, Irene was born and raised in northern Italy. Um, She heard the message of the restored gospel, and she believed, and she joined the church. I was born and raised in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I can't remember a time when I didn't know the story of Jesus appearing to Joseph Smith. And as long as I have been old enough to know these things for myself, I have always believed. But I would also like to say here on the podcast, as we begin, that um, there have been two things that I've always known about myself. The first is that I've always known that I was a believer in Jesus. I never had to ask about that. I've never had to pray about it. I've simply known. I've never asked if the church was true. Um, If the Book of Mormon was the Word of God, I've just always believed. I didn't know anything. I didn't do anything to know these things. I've just always known them. The second thing that I've always known for as long as I can remember is that I am gay. Now, I haven't always had language to understand or describe it that way, 
But as long as I've been old enough to know anything about myself, I have known that I'm gay, even if I didn't have the words or the language for it. And most of my life, these two parts of me, my believing in Jesus part and my gay part, have been fighting with each other, one trying to beat up on the other, pulling me in opposite directions. It's only been these last seven to 10 years or so that I've been learning with the grace of God how to make these two parts of me become friends. And it's not always been an easy journey. Some people might suggest that I leave my faith and embrace my gay identity. That would be like those people who would say I should choose not to be gay. I don't get to choose one and leave the other. They are both deeply interwoven in my soul. Um, as we approach this Holy Week, um, our Come Follow Me study materials this week um, say, and I'm going to quote from them, that Jesus invites us to love one another. He declares that the first great commandment is to love God with all our, with all our hearts, and the second is to love our neighbor as ourselves. Jesus was surrounded by followers and critics alike, and in the last week of his life, he shares eternal truths with the masses and lets them and us know that one of the greatest ways that we can serve God is to love one another. That ends the quote from the Come Follow Me material. Irene and I are glad to be here today. We hope we are serving God and helping others feel his love. We are aware that there will be a few critics listening today. Maybe some will criticize my testimony of the church or of Latter-day Prophets, or maybe there will be those that will criticize our mixed orientation marriage, um, or there will be those that might say being public about being gay um, uh, isn't helpful, isn't what I should do. But we're just grateful that people are here and that are willing to listen to our story. Um, we pray that it will be right a loving space. We hope it's helpful to people, and we hope people that are listening will be kind to us. And so that's kind of what I wanted to say, Richard, at the beginning, and, and thanks for letting me share that. I spent some time praying and thinking and writing that. We could end the podcast right there. <laughs> I felt just a great spirit, and your dear wife did have tears in her eyes when you talked about her conversion. Kids and Joseph Smith. Irene, tell our listeners where you met and a little bit about your love story. Hmm. Our love story didn't start as a love story. It started as a wonderful um, friendship. We were both missionaries in the southern part of Italy. I'm from the north. I'm from Torino, and we served in the Catania mission, which comprised of the, um, the island of Sicily and the tippy-toe of the boot and the heel of the boot. So we were both there with many, many other wonderful friends, and we just shared the gospel. We just, we just were representative of Jesus Christ, and that's how we started. And, and in many occasions, of, I've noticed how such a great teacher Alec was. He's always been a great teacher. And, you know, oddly enough, that's what he does. <laughs> He's a teacher. And, and I always thought he's just a genuine, good-hearted, wonderful person. And then, and then later on after our missions, we fell in love. And How did you history. find each other? Because I assume he, um, he went back to the States. And did you stay in Italy? How did you? Yes. How did you well, connect? We were friends uh, during the mission. And then um, just before... Uh, his district was coming home. The elders in his district were coming home. Uh, we found out that our mission president, who's Italian, uh, Presente Conforte, and his wife um, were going to, were coming here to the United States for general conference. And so I made sure that I was going to be here as well. So I, I asked my friends in the mission office if they knew you know, if there was a group of missionaries coming home and they said, oh, 
Anciano Barrow and the other Anciani are. And I said, I need a ticket on that plane. So I was working full time. I was teaching early morning seminary and I got a ticket and I came here for seven days, the longest, shortest seven days of my life. Fun story. When, when we got off the airport back I got in Salt Lake, back in the day when everybody could be right at the gates, right? We got off the airport. There was four of us in our district and there's all these return missionaries from our mission. Just a bunch of them were there and we were like, hey, you guys, Castelli's on this flight because she was coming from Italy. And they were all like, Wait, we think you're, you guys think we're here for you? That's why we're here is to pick her up. And so she had, there must have been 20 people at the airport that were excited to have her come. And, and then I don't think we saw each other in all yeah. that trip. I mean, she was whisked away by her friends and companions. Yeah. And, and so she was on the flight with us, but I didn't see her at all that trip. Um, except for the conference. We saw each other at the mission conference. Yeah. So that was the beginning. And yeah. Yeah. Alec, just tell your story as a gay Latter-day Saint, wherever you want to start. Um, well, maybe we'll start um, again with that idea of not having a language, right? That as I was a, a child growing up, um, I was, right, that socialization process that takes place when we're children. I learned really young that the things that I enjoyed, the things that I was interested in, the things that mattered to me were different than, than my same gender peers, um, you know, playing together kind of helped. Maybe a story would be helpful. Um, Jamie was my very best friend growing up. And, uh, and Jamie, we always liked to play Super Friends. So all the, the neighborhood kids would get together and we'd play Super Friends. And there was this tussle that would happen about who gets to be Batman and who gets to be Superman. And, and I would always kind of hold back. I didn't, right, and waited because they would pick, right? They would all, all the superhero, superheroes, right, would be taken by everybody. And I'd sit tight and wait for Wonder Woman, right? Because nobody would pick Wonder Woman because we're all guys. And, uh, and I didn't want to be Wonder Woman. I just wanted those bracelets, right, that she had because they were amazing. And she had that invisible airplane that I wanted and that lasso that made people. So I always wanted her garb. I wanted Wonder Woman's accessories, right, and those boots that were amazing, right? Mm-hmm. And they would all like, you can't be Wonder Woman. She's a girl. And, and so I'd always say, okay, I'm going to be Wonder Man then. And I would have everything that Wonder Woman had, but, but I would be Wonder Man. Um, but again, those, those kind of those child play things, I just realized that the things that mattered to me, um, things that I enjoyed were, were very different than, than my male peers. Uh, Jamie had a little sister that she had this amazing Barbie house, this Barbie doll house. And I'd go in there with her and we would redo the place and we would deck people out in clothes. She had a great clothes collection, you know, and Jamie would complain to his mom and make him come out and play with me. And she would come in and say, you know, boys don't play with Barbies. You're supposed to leave and go outside. And if I have to go outside and play dinosaurs, right, with, with Jamie. And so, um, and I, there's dozens, right? There are dozens and dozens of those stories that, that I learned, right, that during that socialization process that what I liked, what I enjoyed was different than my, my male peers, and um, so again, I don't, I would have never thought of myself, right, as, as gay. I just thought, I just like stuff differently than, than all the other boys liked and got, you know, teased because of that. And, and so you learn to conform, you learn to, so I, you know, I, I did what they did. I, I learned to not really like what I like, liked and, and ended up doing kind of what everybody else around thought that that was, was what I was supposed to do. Um, and so I had a wonderful mother who who allowed, right, me to, when I asked for the, the easy bake oven for Christmas, right, she got me the easy bake oven and, and, you know, my other brothers were getting much more traditionally masculine things. And, and she was, she was very kind to entertain some of the things that I, that I wanted to do. 
So it probably wasn't until junior high, right, and high school, you know, puberty, when I began to to kind of clue in that when my when my friends, my male friends, how they're talking about uh, girls, right? I, I I wasn't quite sure what they were noticing and what they were talking about, and and wasn't um, just wasn't that those kind of thoughts weren't right, and and I was aware of. But the guys, right? I was. They would be describing this like, "Oh, that's what I'm noticing about him," right? And there would be, you know, these male friends that I would have crushes on and that I was interested in. And um, you know, the '80s in the '80s, the, the AIDS epidemic, right? And and people had awful things to say in the church about gay people. And so I don't know that I that I would have ever associated myself with that word because it it was spoken of um, in such a in such an unkind an unkind way. And I'm one of those people that said unkind things. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of the reason I do this is to sort of repent. For well, those the irony is, is that I did too, right? <laughs> I would have said those unkind things too. I would have never wanted to associate myself Good with point. That. And We were conditioned to do so. Yeah. Good point. And so um, in high school though, but, but I was still me, right? And there were parts of me that were still effeminate, whatever word we would want to use. And so there was, I think today we would call it bullying, but there was just a, there was a lot of things that happened in high school that were tough, that were, that were hard. Um, and again, that socialization process of, of, of not, I mean, I did my best, right? I mean, I would try so hard to not, right, be me. And it would always kind of amaze me that when people would make comments, I'm like, oh, right. How do they know? I'm trying so hard to have people not know, and uh, and 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 they did right. There was um, one of the one of the most difficult ones that even I think I think of the high school kids today, right? That um, as I as I work and teach with with high school kids, that um, I was a student officer, and uh, there wasn't a time when I was either on the court during an assembly or on the field or up on the stage or anything that we were doing, kind of as, as student government. There wasn't a time when there my senior year, I should say, particularly when, when there wasn't a group of, of, uh, of guys, this large group of guys that would begin to chant. I don't know, can I say the F word over the, not the, not the bad swear word, but the faggot word, right? That they would begin to chant, you know, faggot, faggot, as I'd get up to the microphone. At you directly. At me, right. And, and I knew it was coming, right? Every time I'd, I'd walk out there, I knew, I knew it was coming. Wow. And, and I, I just had to make that, right? I'm going to, I'm not going to have that prevent me. Wow. Right. From, from doing what I, what I enjoyed doing. And it was, it was hard. It was, it was, it was painful. And I tried to, you know, you kind of laugh it off and, and, you know, but it was, it was tough. It was tough that it felt like everybody else knew, or at least they, they had labeled my behavior, my person as gay. And I was trying so hard not to be, uh, because I knew what it meant in the church and I knew what it meant in society. And I desperately wanted people to like me and to be approved of. And that was just something that, right, was, was, was not going to be approved of. Wow. So it was, right, it was, I mean, I had, a great, I had great friends. Don't get me wrong. We had a lot. We had a lot of fun. I had a great friend group. I had great guy friends I was close with. We did lots of things together. Um, and, uh, but there was a part, right, that nobody ever got to know that I could never talk about. Um, even though it felt like they all knew, but it was just never spoken. Oh. Yeah. 
Yeah, just keep telling your story, or do you want to share with our listeners, were you suicidal during the high school years or suicidal ideation with just all this negative? Yeah, that that wasn't, um, I wasn't suicidal in high school. Um, I, I, I just, for whatever reason, I mean, there were times in my life that I did get there, but it wasn't, it wasn't in high school. Okay. Um, I really enjoyed high school. I mean, I had fun. We had a, we had a lot of fun. There were great times in high school. Um, there was a girl that I dated for three years and, and she was amazing. And I've always felt right bad that, that she didn't know. And that, you know, there's that, that regret associated with dating somebody who they think one thing and I'm thinking something else completely, but I just can't, you can't talk about it. And so uh, we dated off and on for three years and she was amazing. She was so intelligent and bright and cute. And, and she thought I felt one way about her and, and I didn't. And that's, you know, that's, those things are hard about high school, but, but it was great. I mean, I, I was really heavily involved in student government, did a lot of activities, went a lot of places and, uh, and high school was really fun. And there was this other part that was really difficult and hard. I wish our listeners could see your wife as you talk about that assembly. She wants to go to that assembly and, and, and I think um, kind of be like, you, this is, I can tell how much you love your husband and you want to go back to his younger selves and defend him. Um, tell our listeners a little bit about how you feel when you hear your husband treated that way in, in junior high and high school. Well, it's just, and there's so much pain. It's just so painful to see the person you love the most in so much pain. And, and, you know, I'm not, I, I, I don't even know how to describe it. I just, I just know that Alec turned 52 yesterday and I always expected me to tell everybody, tell the world that he was gay at his funeral. So yeah, I would have said, yes, he's gay. So what? And, you know, and here we are a few years after high school, but still way before his funeral. And I'm so very grateful for you and this opportunity that we have to share. Our I can tell story. you really love your husband. I can tell you really love each other. And I can tell your heart aches for him and all of our LGBTQ members when There's difficult so things pain. are said about them. And um, talk about your. Well, let me, on your Go comment ahead. that now, I've done a lot of work around that. I've done my own personal work. I mean, I've been in therapy for years, right? And so the reason to share that story, particularly, is not part of that process of that healing for me, although I'm sure it is healing to me to share again. But just so that people are aware that we think sometimes in high school we're just teasing and we think we're just being funny and we think, right, there's a good laugh. And it hurts, right? It, it hurts kids. It, it, it hurts their soul. And, and if people right, are listening to this podcast, um, just to be aware that, that we think we're joking, we think we're having a good time, but there are silent parts of us that, that do get hurt. And you might want to stop that, in the words of, of President Uchtdorf, right? You might want to stop that behavior. Because I am 52 years later, and I am still sharing that story because it was very painful. Um, and, um, and we can help prevent that. One of the, one of the things that um, comes to mind, I, I am a speech-language pathologist, but I have been working, I don't have a master's degree, so I've been working as a special educator. And in my classes with my students, who 
often are are marginalized and they are a minority and they are the ones struggling uh, learning in the learning process. Um, you know, I always I always had in my classes and it wasn't a judgmental. I would say uh, we can't say let's let's say something else. But just kidding, just kidding, because if if it came out of your mouth, you're thinking it. And if you're thinking it, you believe it. And so, you know, it when when the first few months of teaching a class, I would say oh, we don't go just kidding, just kidding after we say something hurtful because we're all in pain. Everybody has a story. Everybody has their story and we can not know how they feel. So say something horrible, something terrible, and then say, oh, just kidding. Uh, that doesn't work in my class. I love that. And I sometimes think it starts with parents. I think if parents are saying kind things about LGBTQ people and other people that sometimes we don't say kind things about, it helps the kids know how to talk. And it also communicates to kids that their parents are loving and kind and a safe person for them to open up to. I think about phrases we use in the church, like the gathering of Israel, and I've thought about that, and I usually think about a couple praying for the truth in foreign country, which is true, but I've thought about our own LGBTQ members and how they need to be figuratively, literally gathered and feel like a sense of belonging, and you've certainly felt not felt that at times, but you're Israel and I'm Israel, and Israel's members of our own church that need to be gathered and create a sense of belonging. And I've also thought about one of the ways Satan's increasing his attacks is to divide us. And if he can divide us with the comments we say about LGBTQ people and some of the things we've said in the past and hold on to those, then I think that's one of the ways he divides us. And that's why I'm so grateful you two are stepping forward. Um, I want to talk, If you, I'd love to have you pick it up wherever you want to, but one possible spot is just coming up from your mission and I don't know if you left on your mission thinking you'd be straight and you came home and recognizing you're gay and and then you could talk about getting married and or whoever you want to go. Well, yeah, that was part of the deal, right? Part <laughs> of the deal was I was going to go on a mission and God was going to make me straight. I mean, he and I talked about that or that he would take this away from me. By then I was probably, I was probably aware that I was gay um, and, um, and that I didn't want to be. Um, what I wanted, what I've always wanted is I've wanted a family. I wanted a family in Israel. I wanted to build the kingdom. I wanted a family in Israel. And this thing, right, was this obstacle that was preventing me from, from doing what I wanted to do. And, and so a mission for me, as well as because I do, you know, I love the church. I wanted to go and serve. I also wanted to, to earn, right, this, this, this thing, this sin, um, being taken from me, this, this, um, I don't know, this obstacle, I guess, is how best and I to think say one it. of the things, listeners, is I've heard Alex's stories. Um, I think he'll keep going through things that he thought would get him to the finish line on being gay and kind of ending that mm. and how that didn't work. And you kept just, right. there's very, there's different versions of this that you'll hear throughout the podcast. So I'll yeah. turn it back to you. And so it was towards the end, it was about, I don't know, it was three weeks or so before I was getting ready to come home. And I'd had a, a series of very uncomfortable dreams um, and, and that realization that, right, I'm, I'm not changed, right? I'm still, right? I'm still me. And me was not okay. 
And so um, the very first person that I ever spoke to about my, my same gender attractions was my mission president. And I explained I'd had these dreams and I was really uncomfortable that with them. It took a lot of courage. It took a, it did take a lot of courage, but he was so gentle. He was so kind. I mean, we loved our mission president and, um, and that I had failed, right? I, I mean, I started off the interview by apologizing that I had failed as, as a mission that I hadn't done what I was supposed to do. And he asked, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm going home and I've just not learned. I've just not accomplished what it was that I needed to do. And I know that. And, and he was curious about that and kept asking some questions. And eventually right, I broke down and shared about these dreams and who I am and how I've always felt about, you know, growing up and, and, um, and these attractions that I've experienced. And, um, and he reassured me that, that God was very pleased with my mission and that I was a great missionary and I had done good work. And he reassured me that way. And then he gave some counsel that wasn't super helpful at the time, but he was doing the best he could, right, with, with the instructions that he had at the time from the church to go home, right, and to get married. And any doubts that I had about myself would, would quickly fade as I got married and had a family. And so, so I, was, I, I had new marching orders, right? I was, new marching orders. New marching orders. I was taking my mission president's counsel, and I was going home, and I was getting married. And after I got married then, right, all this, this business about being gay would, would end. And so that's, that's what I did. Um, I went home, and um, I was working up in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and uh, at, a, at a Western store close. It was the best, right? It was, <laughs> it was this great Western clothes store. I loved it. And we'd all gone out country dancing one night, all the employees uh, at the Cowboy Bar up in, up in Jackson Hole. My mom was there. So, I mean, it wasn't like a bar night. It was my mom came with us and, and we were all just having a great time country dancing. And my mom went home earlier than I did. And, um, and so I was walking back to where I was staying up in Jackson. And I noticed behind me about you know 20 yards back, there was just this person following me. And I'd turn and the person would turn. And including after a while, he was right. He was following me. And I, and I stopped and I turned and said, you know, can I help you with something? And he approached and said, you know, I just wanted you to know that I really thought you were cute. I was watching you dance and just wanted to meet you. And I, you know, I just collapsed on the sidewalk practically. I'm like, you know, what am I sending off? Right. How do people see me? What am I, how did I dance in a way that I'm in the middle of Wyoming, right? For heaven's sakes. How is this guy in Wyoming thinking that I'm gay? Um, from dancing it in, in, in anyway. And so we sat down and he sat down. And he was like, you know, what, what's wrong? And I just, I just got home from my mission and I, I don't know what to do with this. And he, you know, about my same age and he had left the church and he said, you know, he was gay and he couldn't, you know, he couldn't go on a mission. There's no way he could have handled that. And, and so we got talking for a while and, and right. And it got a little physical there on the sidewalk uh, in Wyoming and, um, and, and not, too long, but it was just, right. It just freaked me out. And I just jumped up and I just like, you know, he's like, what, what? I'm like, you know, and I just, I just left. It was like Cinderella. <laughs> I did the stroke of midnight. I was down. Well, maybe Cinderella is not the best <laughs> image to, to, to use, but anyway, um, <laughs> my wife just said Captain America running down the street. Um, anyway, and I ran back and was clearly right, distressed. And my mom was like, what's going on? And of course I didn't want to talk about it. And, and, and I packed up and within three days, I think, um, cause he kept coming by the store 
I was like, you know, I can't talk to you. I can't be seen with you. I can't, right? These people can't know, right? Um, and, uh, and so I, about three days later, I, I moved back down. One of my missionary companions uh, got us a job at the Olive Garden because we could speak Italian. And so we started working at the Olive Garden. And that's when Irene came for the summer. And, and just with a bunch of missionary companions, we just started hanging out and playing and having a, a, an amazing summer. And, uh, and he met his wife. Um, um, oh. He met his wife. She was one of the bussers there at, at uh, the Olive Garden. And um, has it been three years now? Three and some. Three and some. Um, um, there was a plane crash up in Ogden on I-15 a few yeah. years back. Yeah. And that was, that was Clark. Two couples two were couples, in plane. Yeah, the one flying the plane. Those were our, just oh, our, our best mission friends. And, oh, gee. Um, our son Clark is named after Clark. And, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, it was just this sweet little amazing moment at the Olive Garden, right? Elena was there and she was on vacation and they had met each other and and we just had so much fun together. And our friendship blossomed into something really great between Irene and I. And we just enjoyed each other so much. And I, I went to St. George. and had, I was working down in St. George for another little thing I was doing on the side and went to the temple and was very clear that, that God said, well, I asked if, if she would be the one, right? I'm looking for somebody that's going to fix this problem, right? that I have. And, um, of course, feeling horrible about the whole Jackson hole makeout thing and what, what, you know, what are, what am I supposed to do? And felt really just sweet, tender feelings that, yeah, she's the one, right? She's, she can do this. And so then she went home and I followed her home and went to the third Christmas in Italy. I went back and spent Christmas with her and her family. And, um, uh, which was wonderful, right? She was teaching early morning seminary and she was working full time. And I just spent lots of time with her family and got to know her family really well and loved that. And, um, and then we, why don't you, why don't you share about, I don't know, how we got engaged and maybe our conversation, what you remember about the conversation. Yes. Before, before he proposed, we, we talked about his sexual orientation and I said, you know, times were, were different. We are talking about, we, we love President Kimball. Don't get us wrong. We love President Kimball. But we, we talk about, you know, when I went on my mission, I had my scriptures and the miracle of forgiveness. And, and chapter six of the miracle of forgiveness is not very forgiving. And it's, it's very detrimental to our, to our friends and, and loved ones. And, um, Yes. So, but, but that's what we believed at the time that, that we'll get married and everything will be okay. We'll get married and we'll have a couple of kids and everything will be okay. We'll get married and everything will be taken away. And then, you know, many years later, we realized there's nothing that needs to be taken away and nothing that needs to be fixing that we're doing just fine the way we are. But like Alec was take, uh, speaking earlier, it's just very, it's incongruent. It just, you know, it feels like there's one side of us going against the other side of us, but they still go on parallel. So, 
So just a great segment, just so our listeners understand it. Alec came to you, out to you, before you were married, with that he had same-sex attraction or gay or whatever language you used in the 80s. Yes. Why did you yes. not, why did you say you're still going to marry this guy? Because he's wonderful. <laughs> because he's amazing. Because he's kind. Because he's caring. Because as weird as I am, he loves me. And, and I love him. and there's nothing wrong and and we'll face we have faced 30 years together and we'll go on for much longer than that do you remember that conversation with your I future think, I wife i was just going to wonder if you remember did i say i was gay did i do you remember the language i used i don't know that i remember I remember, uh, I remember we were sitting out in front of this little church. There was a little Catholic church we were sitting. I remember sitting on the fence and we were sitting in front of the sign that had the, the mass schedule on it. And we had gone inside and we had come out. And I just said, I think, I think we need to have a talk. And, and, um, and somehow I, I, I must have said I was gay. I don't know. And, and I remember you saying that you had had several friends, right, that she was really close to. And so it wasn't, I wasn't like the first person in her world that was gay. She had had some really close friends growing up that were gay. And she was very comfortable with the conversations. I was amazed at how comfortable she was with the conversation. And, and you know, she was on Team Alex. She was ready. We were, we were going to do this. Did and that surprise you that it, she didn't end the relationship over you disclosing this about you? Or did you know her well enough to know that she could handle this? I did not go into that conversation thinking she would she would. Yeah, that she would be on her way out. That wasn't a fear of mine. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't know that she would want to pursue it, but it wasn't going to be, I was not worried about being rejected by her. Cool. Um, yeah, she's just just a lot of fun, very open. I mean, and then she's Italian, right? So there's, they have a kind of a different worldview a little bit. I mean, she left her church growing up. And so she had, right, different thoughts, different ideas, open to new ideas and new thoughts. And, and we talked a lot about them. In the beginning, when how we're going to do this, and then after we got married, we didn't talk about it as much. Um, just get into to life, but but um, yeah. And I want to just mention that the next episode after this one will be the Barrow kids talking about um, their parents. And um, so, I, when you're done with this episode, it, you know the next one that will release. It may already be released by the time you're listening to this, or you may have to wait a few days. But the Barrow kids will be talking about Alec and, and their mom and just have wonderful insights that can help all of us. Yeah. So just talk about going into this marriage and with your with the thinking of the church at that point and your mission president and maybe some of the things in President Kimball's book. And I share many of the same thoughts. I love that book. There's so much good in it, but there are some parts of that book that so painful. I think it's appropriate to retire parts of that book that have that with the understanding of today, I think President Kimball would ask us to retire that book. Now, I can't speak for President Kimball, and I don't want to get too much into that, but I think it's okay to acknowledge sometimes that there's content in older church materials that we now don't teach and just be able to talk about in a very objective way. But talk about just um, your expectations going into this marriage then to be straight. Well, make a comment quickly about or, about President Kimball. Please. I've had many conversations with him in my head. Right? I've, we've sat down and I've had conversations. And I think President Kimball would be the first person to feel regret that I had been so hurt by the language that he used in chapter six. Because the language is horrible. 
I mean, it it's just horrible. really painful. And I recognize that that in those conversations that President Kimball wasn't differentiating between a gay identity and gay behavior. And, and if the book is read, again, it's still, it's still difficult to read. But there is the church didn't didn't distinguish between kind of a gay identity and gay behavior when the book was written. It was just all lumped in together. And so as I was reading, you know, chapter six during my mission repeatedly, um, that that the language that he used um, just right it was describing me, and I recognized that it was me, and that that I had something I needed to to get rid of, and that that through the atonement of Jesus Christ that could be done. Um, and he, in, in the book, suggests, right, if you have normal behaviors with people of the opposite sex, that that will, that will decrease the, the gay. And, um, and I've tried that. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> and I, listeners, I just, I, part of this podcast is kind of talking about tender subjects in the very best faithful way we can. And I've learned to that often to help people heal is to acknowledge the complexities of experiences they've had in the past. And instead of minimizing that, Alec, or saying you shouldn't have felt that way or you're overthinking it, or I just think we can sit with people in their pain and acknowledge the pain and support and sustain our leaders in our church. It's not an either or. And me acknowledging <laughs> your pain and the complexities of chapter six and how that affected you and has affected many Latter-day Saints in a negative way to me, just helps people heal and move forward versus to being dismissive. Yeah. Um, so that's just the way, listeners, I process that and because I want to do everything I can to heal people and help people move forward. I've learned that for me, the word and is really important to my well-being, that I can love President Kimball, I can love Latter-day Prophets, and I can recognize that some of the things they've taught and said has been very painful for me. And one doesn't have to take away from the other. I can honor the truths that they've taught. I can honor their witness of Jesus. I can recognize and sustain them as prophets. And sometimes they've said some things that's been really hard for me and difficult for me. And that's okay. One doesn't, one doesn't have to rob the other. So talk about, just talk about your marriage and recognizing that you're gay. And did that put you in a darker spot than even pre-mission? Um, not quite yet. Because again, there's always this, in my mind, there's this hope right? That, that, that change is coming, right? That I'm, I'm in, right? I'm in, I'm, I'm, I'm part of, of, of the church and I'm married. And so, you know, we kind of waited and watched for things to happen. As we got towards the end of our BYU studies, um, I did tell a bishop, that was the first time I had told a bishop because I was still gay, right? And so I was telling the bishop, um, I thought this was going to happen. I was his executive, executive secretary. So we had lots of conversations and he made an appointment for me to go and visit with, with somebody at the Taylor building, right? A therapist at the Taylor building. So I met with him one time. I was just, I wasn't too far out from graduation, I don't think. And, um, and, and we only met once and he, I said, well, I, I'm gay. And he said, well, are you acting out sexually with other men? And I said, well, no. And he said, well, are you, do you have a porn addiction? Are you looking at a lot of porn? And I was like, well, no. It's like, oh, well, then you're not gay. It's like, oh, Great, right? I mean, I just, I, that was, again, there wasn't a separation between the behavior and the identity. And if I wasn't doing those things, then I, then I wasn't gay. Fascinating. And so, and then about that same time, we got the job offer to teach seminary. Um, and we felt really excited about it. And again, it was that, oh, well, this is how it's going to happen, right? That I'm going to dedicate myself 
to teaching the gospel. We are going to dedicate ourselves to the church, and that's how God is going to, to change me and fix me. And so together with my little family, we had had two little kids, and we got our first uh, job offer or job assignment, I should say, after they offered to hire us. And we were off, and, and that's how it was going to happen. So for the next you know, five years, um, that was the next, like the first five years, kind of four years of marriage, that was what it was going to be. And we realized, well, that's not it. And so the next one, seminary is going to do it, right? Dedicating myself to teaching scriptures. Um, God will see that I'm committed and I mean it. And then he'll, he'll make the miracle happen. And he didn't. <laughs> and so uh, I was a summertime. It was the, I don't know, about five years into, into our profession. I was at a summer convention down in Las Vegas. We were teaching in Nevada and we were down in Las Vegas for the area convention. All the teachers were getting together. And I think we had Clark was just a baby. Maybe it was Caroline. Yeah. Caroline was just little. And so Irene couldn't come. She stayed home. With, with all the children. And I was down there and I was sitting in the back seat of this much more senior couple. They had been teaching for a long, long time. And she was a, a licensed therapist. And so they're up there having this, he picked her up from work and we were on our way to the dinner with all the other seminary teachers and institute teachers. And they were just having their regular, you know, post-work conversation. How was your day? How was your day? And, and she made the comment. She said, you know, there are a lot of people that just carry around heavy burdens that they don't need to carry, that they could talk to somebody and help and get some help on these heavy things. And I just, right, I felt the spirit strong say, you need to talk to her. And so I approached her and we set up an appointment and I began meeting with her. Um, and then we got moved up here to Utah. So we were transferred up here to Utah. So I began meeting with somebody else. And so I, they, I did some reparative therapy uh, back in the day when, when conversion therapy was how, so that was the next one, as you mentioned right earlier, that was the next one, right? It wasn't teaching seminary that was going to do it. Now it was conversion therapy. It was reparative therapy that was going to fix my gain. And so I spent quite a bit of time uh, meeting with therapists and attending group and figuring out what it was to undo, right? What had happened in my childhood that I needed to undo so that the gay today could kind of fade off and go and and so we spent a lot of time in, in reparative therapy and it didn't work. And, and it was just life then just got busy. We had five kids and we were, you know, went back to BYU to finish up her degree and we just got really busy with life and, and we just kind of put it all on the back burner and stopped talking about it, stopped thinking about it and just right. Isolating secrecy, shame, hiding. And, and we went on for, few years, right? A lot of years like that. Because if you don't talk about it, it's not there, right? <laughs> so true. I have a big smile on my face. <laughs> yep. That's right. Yeah. Um, keep, just keep telling your story. Um, well, then that will change. Uh, 2008, 2006, the church yeah. begins to kind of change their messaging um, about gay people in the church where Prop 8 was, was occurring. And, and I, from what I understand, from what I'm reading, right, there was, there was some bad press on what was going on with Proposition 8. And so it, it seems like the church leaders were, were trying to, to, to change up how we're going to talk about gay people in, in kind of the aftermath of, of some of this, this uh, the bad press, the bad publicity that Proposition 8 was bringing to us. And I remember, I remember the first time I heard the Elder Oaks and Elder Wickman interview with the church's right 
public affairs department. And Elder Oaks was saying things that I had never heard apostles say. Things about, you know, that it's, it's, it could be something from when their child, child, their childhood, but we don't know um, that, um, that we don't, right. We don't, we don't encourage marriage. We're not, there's just these new ways that these, that the apostles were talking about it that were just new to me. The idea that it wasn't a choice was, was new. I mean, I had never, I'd always thought it was me, right. It was always my problem and I had to figure out how to fix this. It was never an idea that I was, was born this way because prophets had not talked about it that way. And so when the messaging of the church changed, and I know that we would think that would bring a lot of hope because now the church is stepping into a new space and talking about it differently, that the, really the language of President Kimball was kind of being set to the side and we were talking about it differently. It just rocked my world. It was like, well, no, it's just me. This is who I am. And it's never going to go away. And I'm stuck like this. And there's nothing I can do. There's not a beautiful person that I can marry. There's not a job that I can get. There's not a calling in the church I could have. It's never going away. And that's when things got dark. Um, that's when, right? That I was in a bishopric at the time. I was working full-time for the church. We it had just started a new job, and she was working full-time. And I was sitting in church trying to figure out how to die. And to make it look like I didn't die, because that would be bad to look at. Right? I didn't want to, right? I just how how can we naturally, right, make this happen? And and just asking God to, to be done with this. That that again, that the idea that even in the podcast, I mean, even in the interview with Elder Wickman and Elder Oaks, right? They talk about the plan of salvation and how gay didn't exist in our pre-earth life, and gay doesn't exist in our post-earth life. They said, and so there's like you know I. I can't do this anymore, right? I mean, now my hope of changing has now been pulled out from underneath me and this is who I am and I got to keep going, right? Another 40 years like this. And I just, I, there's, there wasn't a part of me that wanted to do it. Um, at the same time, I couldn't right, devastate my children. I love my children so much. I love my wife so much. I could never do that to them. And and I just, I wasn't getting into work. I was just making up lies about how my kid was sick and I wasn't showing up to work. I was taking lots of sick days and, and my supervisor was like, you know, you got to show up to work once in a while. And I'm like, well, my kids are really sick. And it was just, it was just a really dark, difficult time. And I don't know what it was that flipped the switch, but something inside me said, something's got to change. Well, I do remember one thing that helped to flip the switch. Uh, and that was during during this time when right, the depressive symptoms were so intense. Um, I remember going to the temple uh, one time. And as I entered the temple, as I walked towards uh, the locker area to get changed, there was this one other temple patron that, for whatever reason, caught my attention. And I was aware of him and headed into uh, the locker room to change. And as I was changing the locker room uh, into my white clothing again, I noticed this one other temple patron, this other man, and, and, and could feel, right, that attraction that, that I experience. And I know what to do. I've, I've learned over the years to, to what to do to focus my mind, to change the direction of my thoughts. And so I began to practice that, those things that I've learned to do, and got changed and moved up into the chapel and, and waited for the temple session to begin. Um, and as the our session began and we went upstairs. I sat down in the ordinance room and this guy came in and sat right next to me. 
And I became so angry. I was so mad. Um, I was mad at myself, um, but I was really mad at God. And in my, in my mind, in my heart, I was expressing to him how angry I was. That um, here I am, I said, I'm just trying to worship in the temple. I'm just trying to be a good dad. I'm just trying to be a good husband. And I, I didn't ask for this. I didn't want this. And I was just venting to him in my heart as this temple session began. Um, and it was a while. It was a while into the session that I just was feeling so much anger um, at this guy that was sitting next to me and at myself and mostly right at God. And then there was just this moment, and it was nothing that I did. I just got really quiet inside, and I could feel my heart get real quiet. And God said to me in, in my mind, in my feelings, I felt God say, how you choose to live your life is completely up to you. If you want to be married to Irene and that you want to raise your children, that is completely up to you. If you choose to not do that, that is also completely up to you. Just know that my love for you will never change either way. That I will not abandon you. I will not leave you. I will love you and I will support you in whatever it is that you decide to do. But know that it's up to you. That decision is up to you. And there was a peacefulness that came into my mind and my heart. There was a calmness that came. Uh, my orientation did not change. Um, the darkness that I was feeling generally in life didn't all of a sudden lift and go away. But there was this assurance in my heart that I was loved, that I was known, that I was loved. And there were decisions that I could choose and that I could make and that I would be supported in those decisions. And then we started making some different decisions. And from that moment, things began to change and to shift. And then some of those decisions that we made had great impact. We can't do this anymore. And we had gone to a Christmas concert. And maybe it was the concert. We went to a North Star Christmas concert. And Irene and I left. And I remember we sat in the car. We made a list of people that we were going to let into our story that I was going to reach out to. And I was at a seminary that I was, I mean, I was technically I was the principal. It was a really small seminary. I was principal of the seminary. In the bishop. And I just, I just said, I'm never, I'm never standing up at that pulpit again without having some people in the congregation that know. Because every time I stand at the pulpit, the voice is, if they knew, they wouldn't want you here. If they knew, they would reject you. And I'm never going to work again without one or two people. Because every time I teach a class, at some point in every class, there's that voice that would say, yeah, but if they knew, right, these kids wouldn't want you to be their teacher if they knew you were gay. And, and so I began... Right, I, we picked I don't know, probably a dozen of my colleagues that I taught with over the years, and I just went one by one into their office and said, "I, right, I'm in a really bad place. I need to share with you some things about me because I'm not, I can't do this anymore." And and I shared with them that I was gay, and then I did that in my ward. I reached out to a few people in my ward and met with them one on one. Took them to lunch and said, "Hey, I'm gay, and and I need right, I need people to know, and I need some support." because it's just really difficult for me right now. And to a person, they were all amazing. There wasn't one bad experience in me reaching out and sharing about uh, myself with other people. Talk. That's a great segment. Um, I just love you two acting on the personal revelation you received and how to get out of this dark spot. Mm -hmm. 
And I love you being honest about how dark that spot was for you. And you were thinking about suicide and death and just how to get out of this box you couldn't get out of. And the reality of um, the church's improved position, if that's okay language, that that just devastated you. I never really thought that about how, and you connected some dots for me that were very helpful about, even though that was an improving message in your personal situation, that was a devastating message, at least for the short term. Talk about those, and correct me if I misspoke about anything, but talk about those fellow um, SNI, I think we call your organization, mm-hmm. seminaries and institute, um, maybe it was CES back then. Talk about what they, how they responded and what was helpful in the responses if there's listeners that want to do the right thing when someone reaches out to them. Well, I'll make one quick comment about the changing of the messaging is that I, right, I hated that part of me. I hated being gay. I don't know how many times my therapists over the years have heard me say, I hate it. I sure. hate being gay. And, and so that the fact that that was now even within the church, right? You can serve, you can be faithful, you can be, you can be gay and still be among us. If you're living your covenants, you could be temple worthy, all of those things. It, it didn't, that didn't change the fact that I wasn't changing, right? That was right. The part that I hated most about myself that caused me. And I feel like caused my relationship with my wife, um, caused, right. I love prophets. And the one thing that caused me the most right distance between me and a prophet that I would put that wedge in there was this thing that was never going away. And I just, it, it, yeah, it, it was really, really difficult. It's a hard time. Um, the thing that comes to mind about my colleagues is that, I mean, all of them, like, what, how can we help? But I said, well, sometimes I just need to go to lunch. I just need to talk to people. I just need some support. I just need people to know in the room that when I show up at the summer in service and there's this gym full of seminary teachers, when that voice kicks into my head that says, you don't belong here, you're not like them, they wouldn't want you here, that I can look around and I can say, he knows, and he loves me, and he knows, and he loves me, and they want me here. And so it just helps to quiet the voice, just them knowing and them not caring. Honestly, I mean, I don't mean this in a bad way. They just didn't care. I mean, they never brought it up again. There was never like, hey, how are you? I mean, it was like, oh, yeah, you're gay. Okay. And then it just, just, it just didn't factor into the friendship, which was, was wonderful, right? Um, I wanted it to be a big deal. I wanted it to be right, this huge thing in their life that they would think, oh, because it wasn't mine. And they, it just wasn't. Um, the other thing it did is that sometimes, right, sometimes seminary teachers like other members of the church can sit around a lunch table and just make comments that are hurtful um, or comments that are, that are untrue or not wise, critical. And so from time to time, just sitting at lunch on a larger faculty, uh, a comment will be made about somebody who is gay or about the gay agenda or what they're trying to do. And just, just really this kind of negative speak. Um, I remember one, one faculty lunch uh, one of the student leaders at the high school that I was at at the time uh, came out and he was this amazing seminary student and he came out as gay. And, and it was like, there was this funeral conversation around the table. Like, Oh, I can't believe what's, you know, and there was just all that, that he was this hero the day before. And now we're all sitting around the lunch table speaking so negatively of this kid because he's come out as gay. And in those kind of moments, it's just nice to look around the room and have and. I never felt like I could. I know I would want to step into that space. And then I'm just outing myself. Right. 
So I could never be the one to step in because I'd get a little passionate and get a little angry. And I just, and so I just kind of look across the table and, and somebody go, you know what? That's just not cool. And then, and then they get to kind of pipe in and, and, and help. And so it was just wonderful having, having people around, um, having members of the ward, right. That knew and that I could come to church and we're just saying hello and shaking hands and saying good morning, but they knew and I was welcome there and they were okay with it. Um, I did have, um, I've always told bishops I've always, well, from whence we first got married, I've always let bishops know. And, and, and I, and again, being helpful and trying to be helpful, uh, there was, there was many a discussion about don't tell people, don't let this out. Don't, um, that, that if, if, if people find out, it'll limit your opportunities to serve in the, in the church, that the certain callings will not be coming your way if people know. And so there was this, right, this pressure to not tell people. And so as I started reaching out, I had to be very careful, selective, if you will, of who I would tell so that I wasn't, you know, well, first of all, I was following priesthood counsel to not tell people and not minimizing opportunity or not limiting opportunities to, to serve, you know, in the church. Talk about, before we went live, you talked to, you gave a phrase called hiding disconnects us. Just explain that to our listeners. And you went back to the garden and what happened in the garden. Well, maybe I'll mention the Sunday meeting right now. Great. Um, so two days ago, uh, for the very first time uh, in our married life, in my life ever, uh, I had priesthood leaders invite me to speak um, to stake leaders. And so we had a stake training with the state council, um, the ward bishops, ward relief society presidents, ward young women, ward elders quorum presidents. It was just, we've lived in the stake for 20 years. So there's this room full of people that we knew and that we loved. I think there's probably three or four people in, in, in the meeting that, that I didn't know by name. And, and our, our stake president, right, the purpose of the training was to, to create awareness and understanding for LGBTQ members of the church. And my stake president knows that, that I'm gay. And, and, and he asked me to step into that space. He asked Annie and I to come and to be in a meeting where we got to stand up and say, this is who we are. And, and we did, right? I did. I stepped up to that microphone that I don't know how many times I've spoken at that microphone, sharing my testimony, seminary graduations, giving talks, right, in, in, in our chapel. And, and again, that voice that's always there, every seminary graduation, right? You can't ever let them know. If they know, you'll lose your job. If they know, they won't want you. And now to be in, in that moment, right, where the stake president says, no. In fact, I look back and say, right, we're good, right? He's like, yeah, we're good, right? And I got to step up the microphone and say, I'm gay. And, and share of my experience um, was, it was like one of the top days of my life, right? After probably our family experiences, our marriage and our children, I can't think of a day that was more meaningful for me and for us than being invited by my neighbors to stand at a pulpit and to say that I'm gay and to ask questions about what that's like and to be part of, of the congregation in, in an authentic way. Because in, in, when the invite came, I was like, I'm only doing it if I can be me. I'm not, I'm not doing this as if I'm a therapist and, and what it's like with clients. About half my clients right now are, are somewhere on the LGBTQ spectrum. So I'm not, I'm not doing that. And they're like, no, no, we, we want you to come and be you. And that was amazing. And so I did share in that, in that meeting on Sunday that I do, I learned from the Garden of Eden story 
that hiding right, disconnects us from God, that hiding disconnects me from myself and hiding disconnects me from other people. And, and that's, I think, and it's not just, not just being, LG, I mean, all of us, all of us experience shame one way or another. Otherwise, it wouldn't be part, such a, such a fundamental part of, of, of this Garden of Eden story that we're taught. Um, that the idea of, of hiding, getting away from God, don't let him see you, don't let people see you. And so to, to be invited to, to step forward, to not hide anymore. And I mean, and part of the reason why this podcast is happening is because I've been invited to step into that space. And I told my neighbors on Sunday that, that we're not doing hiding anymore. I've, I've, I've hidden my whole entire life and it stinks. It's a painful place to be. I'm not doing that anymore. So you can go home. You can tell your kids. You can tell your neighbors. I don't care who you tell, right? My, my, my employers know. My priesthood leader know. My wife and my family knows. And we're, we're not doing that anymore. And so part of this podcast is this new experience of us not hiding because it's such a, a painful place to be. I just... I have tears. I just, the spirit's really strong for me and what happened in that stake, I hope can happen in every stake. And I hope sometimes as an ally, I get invited to speak, but I always think my heart changed by having gay members in my ward as a YSA bishop. And I think that's where most of the hearts change is having people like you speak, Alex. So I just invite, if people are talking about LGBTQ, have an LGBTQ member talk about this subject. Um, that's where we knit our hearts together as taught in the Book of Mormon. And the hiding that Satan wants to create to separate us and create shame that you have felt for decades and, and, and the healing that you experience in that simple thing of just being able to speak about who you are to people that you love and love you and that voice in your head that you've had all those years. And then the messages I assume you got, the support, I think I thought of the hundreds and hundreds of conversations that have happened since that meeting. I bet everybody that left that meeting, when they went back to their wife or husband or family, and they said, how was how was stake leadership or whatever the meeting was? They said, well, this is a little different, let me tell you. And just the needed conversations, the ripple effect of that, and that this is part of who you are, and you're not trying to somehow make that go away. Um, I'm thinking of Elder Carpenter, who's gay on a serving a mission, and he came out as gay to his priesthood leaders in Colorado, and they just supported him and loved him, and he came out as gay to his mission president. And I think most mission presidents five or ten years ago would have said, that's fine, don't tell your companion, don't tell the missionaries, keep this to yourself. You've been told that over and over again. But this mission president did what your stick president does, said, will you talk about this? Mm. Will you help our fellow missionaries know how to teach the gospel to LGBTQ people and help LGBTQ members feel welcome. Will you take this part about yourself that we need in our mission and help us become the body of Christ that Paul talks about? Mm. And what a sense of belonging that creates for Elder Carpenter and for you is that this part of him or her, if you're an LGBTQ woman, is part of us coming together as the body of Christ. Um, just keep telling your story or have you been asked to talk about this in SNI training at all? Um, or Because I assume that this, there's a great deal of discussion going on in SNI, seminaries and institute, how to minister to LGBTQ high school students. Right. 
Um, well, I will say, and, and again, about the messaging from, well, from the, the Sunday meeting, that idea that, from what you just said made me think that when I'm sitting in a seminary classroom and from time to time, students will ask questions about other churches. Well, you know, what, what are the Catholics or, you know, we get talking about other churches. And I always tell them the, the, the best way to find out about another church is to go find the best member of that church you can find and go ask them questions. But if you want to know what the Catholics believe, go to mass, go find this really amazing Catholic member and ask them. So don't ask me. I'm not going to give you good information about what it's like to be a Catholic. Um, and I would share the same thing about, about somebody who's, who's LGBTQ. Go find somebody and sit down and talk with them. I think the reason that I have not had anyone ever that I've one-on-one sat down with, and even Sunday night, um, people that we've known right for 20 years to come up afterwards and be affirming and loving and the, the sweet text that my daughter's young woman's president sent to her wow. about you have an army of support in this ward. Wow. And the way that we were received by our neighbor is because they know us, they know me. And, and that's wonderful, right? And so I think sometimes if there are people that have negative reactions, it's because they, they don't know the person that they're reacting negatively to. And, and they might not have an opportunity. There are people who listen to this podcast that won't have a chance to ever meet me. But go meet somebody else and sit down and listen to their story. Um, it's just the best thing. I shouldn't say the best. Thing. It is one of the best things that you, we can do for each other. And that would be true whatever. I mean, I had this sweet brother that stayed afterwards. And we talked a little bit about me. But then the conversation quickly turned to his son that I taught years ago and, and a physical challenge that's come to his son. And then we got to sit there and talk about Right. How is that part of God's plan? How is being gay part of God's plan? How is his child's current situation part of God's plan? And connect. I mean, we're not connecting on LGBTQ. We're connecting on pain. Pain is pain. And, and my wife has taught me so well that pain is pain. Vulnerability breeds vulnerability. Vulnerability, right? And I would guess everybody in your stake know, knows they can talk to you guys about anything now. <laughs> um, whatever's going on in their life, yeah. you can somehow go there with them. And what a right. Wonderful, wonderful principle of ministering. Yeah. So to answer your question about, about employment, about that time when things were really dark and difficult, um, I began to reach out to my employer. Um, I had been invited to participate on a North Star project that was going to make me pretty visible and, and, and asked if that would be okay. And just introduce North Star just as an aside to our listeners. Uh, North Star, well, I don't know how I would properly say it. It's, it's an organization that's not sponsored by the church that supports church teachings. It's a church affirming. It's, um, it's also affirming of LGBTQ members um, or non-members and, and just wants to be a supportive place um, for people to get good information, to get good resources. Uh, because sometimes when you're alone and isolated, it's just nice to be around other people like you. And I like North Star. I've yeah. really enjoyed getting to know that organization. Go ahead. And so it's just, it's taken some time. It's taken, as the church has moved in a direction of, you know, the Mormons and Gay podcast, and now, you know, the, the, the same-sex attraction tile on our, in our library, as the church has moved into a more positive LGBTQ space, my employer has as well. And so I've just kind of tucked myself in behind as the church has moved forward. I've just tried to move forward with it and, and tried to occupy. I, I, I've never wanted to be an activist. That's just not my personality. 
I, I, I welcome activism. I'm proud of activists. I, you know, I'm very supportive. That's just, I just don't think I would be a very good activist, right? But I am an advocate and I'm an ally. And as, and, and as the churches move forward, I've tried to tuck myself in behind the prophets and move forward with them. And as much space as they're giving me to be more authentic, I'm going to take advantage of that because I know it's healing for me and it's healthy for me. Um, again, because of my belief structure, getting out in front of them has would for me wouldn't be very healing. It wouldn't be helpful. But that's just my personality. And there's no criticism of those that want to get out in front of of prophets. Um, there's no judgment on prophets. I just know that's not that's not a very good place for me to be. And so I've as as prophets have kind of changed messaging and move forward with, with new information and new education about LGBTQ uh, issues. I've tried to tuck myself in behind. And we are now in a place where about six months ago, we were going to have some training on, on LGBTQ. How do, how do we create safer classrooms for, and not just right, gay, trans, you know, bisexual kids, but how do we have safer classrooms for our, our students of color? And how do we have safer classrooms for our, our daughters who are feminists? And have these amazing ideas of what the church needs to do to change in the area of feminism. And just and how do we right, accommodate these new ideas and these new thoughts and make students feel safe in class, as well as those students that are very orthodox that don't have. I mean, because we all need to feel safe, right? Agreed. All of our ideas need to be welcomed. All of our ideas need to be honored. Agreed. And so we've been having some training about how we're going to do that in seminaries and institutes. How do we create safer spaces so that our youth don't leave? that they can feel like they belong as they are in our classrooms. And so we knew this training was coming up. And so I went to one of my neighbors who was going to be teaching the class at one of those that, you know, eight years ago, I sat down with him in his front room and said, Hey, this is me. And, and shared with that I was gay. And so I called him up and I was like, are we, are we going to have us do this still? I mean, is one of us going to be the one teaching the class or are we still going to outsource this? Cause we've had trainings before in the past, but we've always invited somebody else to come in. And, and, be, and be the gay person or, you know, or the LGBTQ to talk about the issue. And, and, I, right, and I sit there and go, there are some of us, right? I, I, mean, I assume there's some of us. I know there's me. I don't know if there's anybody else. Um, but so I just said, can, can we do this? I mean, can, can I do this? Can I be the one? Um, I, think we're, I think we're there. I think we're in that place. He says, well, let's, let's ask. And so it went all the way up and came all the way back down. And they said, absolutely. And we had blessings from the central office. And it was an amazing experience. It was six months ago and to sit, it was all zoom, but, but I had people in the room that I had that knew me. And then it was kind of a seminary meeting from Lehigh down to St. George. And I don't know, I don't know how many people participated. I don't know, but it was an amazing thing to be in right in my workplace. And, and somebody, you know, somebody made the comment um, that, you know, you could have done that during a meeting, right? You could have during a meeting two summers ago, say, hey, well, I'm gay and I could have added my insight as we're having these gay conversations. You could have stood up and, and had a question or at least, it's like, that's not what I want. And that's the same thing I wanted for my priesthood leaders. I want my priesthood leaders to put their arm around me and say, right, this is our neighbor. This is our, our, our ward member. We know, we love him. We think it's great. And he's going to talk. And, and to have, to be invited, right, by, by them to and again, I, I recognize that there will be those listening to the podcast that will say that that might be the weak way to go about it, or it might be the, the staying in church, you know, channels and not, but that's just who I am, right? That's, that's what's a healthy thing for me um, is, is 
is to, we've gone really slow. It's been important for Irene and I to be very slow as we've moved forward. And I love for your, the visual imagery of your, you know, following the lead of our church leaders and following in behind them and creating, when they're creating space, you're, you're stepping into that space in an appropriate way and sharing your story. And, and there's such a need for these kind of stories. Um, I think your kids participated. Um, they did. And how did it mean, what did it mean for you to have your kids participate in this seminaries and institute training? I think they zoomed in and shared some comments. We'll hear more from them on the next right. podcast. Um, my children in some ways are a lot like my wife, that they get very defensive of, of their father. And so sometimes we're sitting around having conversations that, you know what, if the kids at school find out it's going to be, and my kids are like, we'll take them. We, we got this. We'll, right. We'll, we'll be right. Kind of that, that ally, that advocate for me. And, and so they, it was amazing for them to, to have, you know, my employer, you know, do the invite and they've just been so supportive. Um, maybe sometimes, um, I don't know if it's fair to say, maybe wanting me to do more sooner. I don't know if that would be true, but, but maybe not. I don't know. It sounds like they're proud of this part about you. And they're saying, dad, don't talk about this. They're saying, dad, talk about this. We love everything about you and mom. And we think you should talk about this because we love this part about you. I, I think they've always been, you, you need to do what you need to do. And just like we want to give anybody the benefit of the doubt and their, their own decision in doing however they feel it should be done Mm -hmm. and whenever it feel it, you know, it feels right. So they, they were always just very patient with us and, and they were just happy that it was finally the time, and they were all there yesterday at the church. Uh, two days ago at the church, they meeting. were all there. Everybody, everybody. Yeah. everybody. This is a family love story. It's, it's, a, family it's a great love family story. It's a family and, love story, and I think it's also important to say that right, there's difficult things too. I don't want to paint a picture that's not. That's not. I mean, we won't get into those details, but but right there's well, been difficult it's a, times. it's a family well, love true. story. So any any family, you know, <laughs> it's not all peachy and it's it wasn't it's not all always uh that that wonderful but they're good people they are good people we were blessed with good people and it's being an honor too one of the things that i remember being in a stake young men's assignment thinking wondering i've thought about this topic a little bit over the years it wasn't really until i had a couple gay ward members but i thought of there's probably LGBTQ youth in our stake. And I thought if they're looking for people in the church to sort of role model how to do this, or there's people older, there's people in leadership, or there's just examples, I thought, I don't know of any um, sort of role models or sort of like, so I go back to these teenage LGBTQ students and and the fact that more and more are stepping forward and sharing their story, I think it decreases the shame, which Satan I don't think likes because people start to accept this part about them. And then they think heavenly parents can accept they love this part about them because it's how they're created. And I think they make better decisions. But then they see someone like you, who is an effective you know, seminary institute teacher, a wonderful husband and father, and just a great human. And they go, okay, that gives me hope. There's a place for me. Um, I'm aware of two elders corn presidents that are openly gay. When we say openly gay now, listeners, that just refers to orientation like Alec is talking about. Um, their stick presidents call them to be elders corn presidents. They're serving as elders corn presidents. I'm aware of 
Scotty Osmond, who serves in the um, Long Beach East, Young Men's Steak, um, Young Men's Presidency in the Steak. And they did a video where every young men's leader introduced themselves to the young men in the steak, and he's gay. And he just spoke to the LGBTQ youth in the steak. And I thought, if I were an LGBTQ youth in that steak or a parent of an LGBTQ youth, I would be just so grateful that there's somebody that gives hope that there's a place for somebody like my, my child or myself. And so I just think what you're doing is so needed to step forward because it just creates vision and hope and understanding. I want to go back to the resurrection. I talked about this a little bit in the book that I wrote listeners. It's called Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And I referenced Elder Wickman's quote that he said that people would be straight, paraphrasing in the next life. And and the church hasn't said much on that. And I don't want to debate doctrine, but I do recognize that for some LGBTQ youth, that's the final ace in the hole to be straight is suicide because they've tried everything else. And so generally in the book, I just invite people to let each each LGBTQ person have hope for what they want to be in the next life. And and a lot of LGBTQ people I meet with don't want this part carved out of them because they don't, it's their whole essence is part of um, not being straight and all their Christ-like attributes, gifts, and life mission. But there's some I meet with that would welcome to have relief and just be straight. So I've sort of let, in the book, I just said, let every LGBTQ person sort of define their hopes for the resurrection and let us don't impose that on other people. Any thoughts on that? It's kind of a, I'm sure you've thought about that, but yeah, it's like, sort of like what we'd, the parents or local leaders right. should say about that. I think everyone needs to be able to own their own story. And I think we encourage that in the church. We want people to find out for themselves, right? President Nelson invites us to hear him, to go and search and to get revelation for yourself and to find out for yourself. And so we want, we want our youth, we want our members, we want each other to be able to search for those truths and to discover them for ourselves. And sometimes what happens is, is we teach that. We teach that. We teach what I call the Joseph Smith model. Yeah, talk about that. We teach, we teach, I mean, Joseph Smith had a question, right? And he sought inspired words, decided what he was going to do, and then took that to the Lord to make a decision. And then after that experience, right, he leans up against the mantle and says to his mother, I have found out for myself, you know, and, and what if she at that moment would have said, no, 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 that's not right. You got the wrong answer because that's not my church, right? And I, you need to be right. If she had imposed, right, her, what she, the outcome that she wanted, the expectation that she had, right, on, on, on her son and, and how that might have impacted things. And even in the, even in the, in the experience, right, as Joseph is beginning to express the question that he has, the information he's looking for, right, the adversary comes along and tries to shut him up and don't speak. He binds his tongue so that he's not able to speak. And so I think what we want to do is we want to create a safe place. We want to allow people, right, to study for themselves, to take it to the Lord, and to get answers to very difficult questions that, that, that sometimes the doctrine doesn't cover, that the doctrine doesn't have answers for. And then if we're not careful, when they come back and say, this is what God has told me, we say, no, that's, that's not right. And then we, we give them a different answer because that's more comfortable for us. We want to give to them what makes us feel comfortable, what makes us feel good, instead of allowing them to have that experience on their own. And so I just think we want to encourage, right? And I'll think in the context of youth here, we want to encourage our youth to own their own story, 
to go to the Lord, to have a relationship with God, and and to to find answers for themselves. And if those answers that they're receiving from God don't match what we think those answers should be, give them the space to to discover, right? And to have that relationship with God and to trust them that they might know what is best for their path more than, than what we do. That doesn't mean that we yield on church doctrine, that we yield on church standards. It's back to your end. Right. It doesn't, right? I, I can create that safe space for them and I can say, this is what the church teaches. This is what the standards of the church are. And I can encourage, I can, I can talk with my child about safe practices, that if you're going to date somebody of the same gender, the church right, says this is the law of chastity. And so let's talk about the law of chastity. Let's talk about what that means. How can you stay safe if you're going to go on a date with somebody of your same gender? Um, and what that will mean to you. And then let's talk about the date afterwards. Because I, mean, I just have this belief that if they're going to date somebody of the same gender, they're going to date somebody of the same gender. And I'm, I, I want to be part of that conversation, not, not an obstacle to them coming to me and sharing with me what that experience is like. Um, I'm, I'm, I've got a, a client I'm working with now, and, and I've asked him if, if this came up that I could share, and I'd had, I have his approval. That amazing, right? Amazing young man. And came out to his ward, so supportive, so loved. We think you're courageous and wonderful. And then makes the decision to start dating, same gender in high school. And he said, they just turned on me. It's like the bishop. It's like I became the bad guy. Um, the priest quorum, right? The judgments that came. So he, goes, he goes, I'm not breaking the law. I'm living the law of chastity, right? I'm not breaking any God. I just, I'm just dating somebody. And, and that we, right, we, then he becomes the villain where he was once, right? The hero. The hero. And we do that. He's just the children. same person. Yeah, just the same person. Which, when you were saying that about, about callings, those people that our youth might have somebody that's LGBTQ to look. I mean, I was, when I was, I was stake young men's president a few years back, right? I was gay. I mean, I was a gay stake young men's president. I was me. Nobody knew that, of course. Well, my bishop knew. I think one of the stake presidents he knew. But the people didn't know, right? It's just, it's just me now. I mean, I'm the same person then as I am now. And right. I guess, I mean, the thought now that, well, you might be viewed as this gay seminary teacher. Well, I've always been a gay seminary teacher, right? I've, I've always been me. It's just that people haven't had that information. And that's an interesting point. I'm thinking back to Scott Osman, who's the gay um, member of the, I'm going to get the language wrong here. The young men's presidential, stake leadership, not stake presidency, young men's stake presidency. And I think that's good for the straight men in the stake. Mm. Actually, it's not just good if there's any gay men, young men in that stake, because I think it helps them prepare for life to have somebody like Scott. And that kind of leads to um, a question. It's this is a leading question, but why does, why does you being gay actually help you be an effective seminary teacher? I would like to hope that me being gay because of of shame, pain, isolation, doubt, self-doubt of myself, doubt about prophets, doubt about um, my own identity, that that I'm I'm sympathetic towards youth in my class that experience that. And and whether they're gay or not isn't, or they're trans or not, isn't the point. It's that that they there are things in their lives that are hard for them and that I can, because I have things in my life that's hard for me, 
I am, I'm reliant on the atonement of Jesus Christ. I look to Jesus Christ and, and I hope I teach, right? Even though I've never said I'm gay, I hope that as I'm teaching and sharing, I know what I'm saying in my own heart. Um, a few years back, uh, we were having this really amazing conversation about dads. It was very spontaneous. Um, this class full of students were my dad this, and we just started talking about dads and how much they love their dads. And as we got done with the conversation, it started to wind down. The little voice in my heart said, this has not been a good experience for everybody in this room. There's some people in this room right now that was very painful for them because their dad is not what was described and they're hurting, right? And those little moments, you know how those are, you get those little capsules where it just, it's like a second, but there's just all this information that comes in that little second of light. And I spoke to it and I said, some of us in here had a really great experience right now talking about our dads and some people didn't. And some people was really hard for you. Um, and I just want you to know that I, I realize that. I understand that. I understand that your relationship with your dad is painful for you. And you're sitting here right now going, how come I can't have a dad like that? And, and when I say I know what that's like, I would follow up with, not because my dad, but I know what it's like to sit in a room and have people say things and feel like that's not my experience. That's not what it's like, it's like for me. And I don't, in that moment, I don't say it's because I'm gay, but I can, I can step into that space. Um, and sometimes there's doctrine that we teach. It doesn't make the doctrine not true, but sometimes our doctrine is painful. Um, and, and to be able to say some, that, that hurts. That's a hard doctrine. It's okay. Yeah. And it's okay. It's okay for us to hear that doctrine and go, oh, that is so painful because there's doctrines of the church that are painful for me. And then I would say, and I've said, I don't know, hundreds of times, I won't share what those doctrines are with you because that's not what this environment is right now. Our seminary classroom is not a place for me to tell you about painful doctrines in my life, but just know that I have painful doctrines in my life. And I know some of you do too, and that's okay. We can all worship Jesus together. We can all be faithful in keeping our covenants and we can have doctrines that are difficult for us at times. And so I hope that's something that I bring, right, because of my experience to, to a classroom. That's a really meaningful part of your ministry. And I, as a, my wife and I have had six kids. They're all out of high school now. But our seminary teachers, we prayed that our kids would have seminary teachers that would be the kind of seminary teacher you are and create this sort of safety and the honest communication and the perspective needed to help them navigate, including painful things and vulnerability and safe places. And I was thinking, how would I respond? Our son's now done with high school. If our son came home from seminary one day and said, dad, our seminary teacher's gay. And these are all, I would, I would be so glad that he is a gay seminary teacher. And I started to think about that during the day today as I prepared for this podcast. And I thought, you know, he is going to have a lot of experience with LGBTQ people in and out of the church over his life. And to have a gay seminary teacher to be one of the very first people he sees um, would be very helpful for him. He may have a companion on his mission that one day comes out to him. He may be teaching an LGBTQ investigator and wanting to invite that person into the church and have the perspective of you as a seminary teacher he may later have a family member that comes out. He may have a boss or coworker. Um, I think of this just, I think of perfect love casteth out fear. And if he can have perfect love for LGBTQ people and he doesn't have the fear 
that a lot of people have is they just, it's, Brene Brown says it's hard to hate someone close up, move in. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, so I just, you know, there may be some listeners that think I would never want um, an LGBTQ seminary teacher from my high school age youth. And I would, I would think that would be a, a really helpful thing to prepare them from the world. And there may be LGBTQ youth that just get a vision for there's people like me are loved and belonged here and can find a place here. Any more thoughts on that? I, I always assume that I have some LGBTQ students in my class. I just always assume they're there. And I always assume that I've got some students in my class who has a parent that's, that has moved away from the church. It isn't going to church right now. And I always assume I've got people in my class who has siblings that, that, that don't want to go to church. And I've got, I assume that I've got students in my class whose parents are in the middle of a really nasty, ugly divorce, and it's painful for them. And I, I just assume that I have students in my class that have real-life experiences that are different than what we sometimes portray as the ideal Latter-day Saint life and home. And I know that because I'm bringing that with me, right? I have what we might say is not the ideal, right? Where you are on your journey is safe in my classroom. And I want to make sure I'm aware of that. Um, and so I'm, I'm hoping that that isn't that what Christ did. I think that's exactly what, what Christ and isn't did. that what we want to do as parents and as local leaders, exactly what you're doing in your seminary classroom, because otherwise we just lose people. If they can't have those conversations and share and be vulnerable and honest and safe, mm-hmm. they'll find places to have those conversations. Right. And we want them to be with us. Exactly. We want those conversations to be to be with us. You know, on, on that on the Sunday meeting a couple of days ago, I did ask how many of you know somebody, love somebody, family, friend, somebody that you love that identifies as LGBTQ. Every hand, every hand, every hand went up. And right, so so to your comment, right? We will have coworkers, we will have members, we will have counselors in our young women's presidency, we will have adult members, youth members. Right, you're going to have companions. You're going to have people in your life that identify, whether you know or not. You'll have them, and how we learn to to treat people and their identity. And having a gay seminary teacher doesn't create gay seminary students. Having a gay father doesn't create gay children. <laughs> Only if having straight seminary teachers would create straight seminary students, because because that, nope. that has not happened. Because I I think I've had lots of straight priesthood leaders and straight teachers and. It hasn't worked that way. So I'm pretty sure a gay teacher is not going to make anybody else gay. And so that's just a myth that maybe some of us have held on to. But I just think as we're getting more educated and understanding, hearing stories, we recognize that talking about this subject and having people in our lives that are LGBTQ doesn't create more LGBTQ people. It may create a feeling that people that are LGBTQ can share this earlier in their life than was possible in your life, which to me is the path to healing and hope and connecting with the atonement, the heavenly parents and just more community that you never had. And you'd love to go back to your younger self. Your good wife would love to go back to your younger self in high school (laughs) and just, she loves you. And she would just wish, I said, she just wishes she was in your life during those years you were alone and can provide you the kind of support then she is now. More thoughts either of you'd like to share. Well, that, that sometimes uh, sometimes it, it might be confused that uh, I I've been accused of 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 supporting lifestyles or life choices, but what we're trying to support is life, 
end, just life. And if the end uh, idea is not the same idea that I uh, believe is good for me, that doesn't make any difference. As long as we understand and we let people understand that they are safe with us and, and it's and it's okay to make whatever choice they believe to be to be good for them. Uh, we we are okay with it because like you said, you know, when we say we are losing our youth, we're not just talking about they don't come to church. Many opt for ending their lives because the pain is too excruciating. Agreed. And so I'm not I'm not supporting a life choice. I'm not supporting lifestyles. I'm supporting their lives. Whatever they decide their lives are is going to look like. And let's be clear that the pain doesn't I the pain doesn't come because I'm gay. But that's not where my pain comes that's from. Right. The pain comes how other people view me because I'm gay. That's right. Right? The way the the isolation that comes from being gay, the shame that comes from being gay. Right? Gay isn't painful. Right. It's, it's the way other people around view you or treat talk you, about or you. talk about you. Or if we're going to be honest, right. The way the doctrine, right. Sometimes talks about you and that's where the pain comes from. And I'm not saying we don't teach the doctrine. I don't say we don't teach truth. I'm just saying we need to be aware that that's where the pain comes from. The pain doesn't come from being gay. That somehow if you're not gay, you're not going to have pain. Well, <laughs> everybody has pain, but the pain doesn't come from being gay. Right. I like being gay. Um, it's just a hard space to be because everybody else thinks that I shouldn't be. I I fell in love with him the way he is. I don't want him to be changed or transformed or whatever. What if he's not the same Alec that I know and love? We have had that conversation many times about right. my apologies. Of, you thought this was going to be different. You didn't know that this is the way things were going to turn out. We had this idea that we were going to get married and, you know, 30 years now into this, this is not what you had thought was going to happen. And it is kindness in, you know, I wouldn't want you any other way. I, I want you to be you. And there's been those moments. And again, we've kind of talked about this love story, but there are those moments, right? Where, where I'm wailing, right? On, on the, right. And right, I'm just, there's tears and there's snot and there's pain and there's these wailing moments that I just don't know how I'm going to do. And she just holds me and allows me, right, to, to feel that pain and to be accepting. And, and it passes, right? Those kind of intense moments pass. But anyway, that, 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 that appreciation to Irene for not feeling ripped off that, that she got, right? That she, I don't know. It's really honest. It's really honest. You guys are a great couple and being so honest and vulnerable is just heals other people that are having those kind of moments, but just don't believe anybody else is or in the way you're responding to each other. I, you know, this quote, but I read this a little bit in the podcast and it's in the book fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming who you need to be in order to be accepted, which Alec has been doing for decades now it's shifting. Belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are. And I have a picture of, if you can imagine this, listeners, of a, a square pegs and round pegs going into round holes. And in the picture I have in front of me, there's just round holes. 
and there's round pegs, except there's one big square peg trying to fit into that round hole. And to me, that represents LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And in the past, we just say, Alec, become the round peg. You can do it. And now we're recognizing you are a square peg, and this is how God created you, and this is who you are and how we need you. And so it's on us to create a square hole for you, mm. um, to which your stake just did for you. Mm. And which you're doing so valuable. But we, as the body of fellow Latter-day Saints, have a responsibility here as part of our covenants to create a feeling of belonging for you. And and not just so that you feel welcome here. We need your gifts. We need your insights. We need your thoughts about the gospel of Jesus Christ, especially how it applies to marginalized people to help everybody feel included. Mm. And that's... I think listeners have heard me talk about this. I felt when I stepped in this space that my job was kind of to be the Good Samaritan and help people, but it's my LGBTQ Latter-day Saints that have saved me and have taught me about the gospel of Jesus Christ and have taught me insights about the atonement and about coming together as the same human family and our differences that have just broke, reformed my heart in a way that wasn't possible without LGBTQ people in my life. And, I think one thing that's important about the analogy is I think we forget how exhausting it is trying to fit in. And again, that's not just LGBTQ, but as members of the church, when, when we're trying to be seen as a certain way or we feel like it's expected that we're viewed a certain way, right, that, that fitting in is just exhausting. It takes so much energy to maintain what it is that I think everybody else wants to see. and and. Again, back in those days of high school, how am I walking? How am I talking? How am I holding my hands? What am I wearing? Can I wear this? I don't know if I can wear this because that's really kind of better not wear that. Or I better, and just this energy that's consumed by, by presenting yourself in a certain way, trying to fit in. And, and again, that idea of the pain, the pain right from that hammer pounding on yeah. that peg, pounding you into that hole. That's where the pain comes from. And when we can just right? Shift over. And there's a square hole right there that you would fit in lovely. Why don't you go be in that hole? And then you can just be you and be on our, our, our pegboard and just sit with us comfortably. And, and part of the reasons why Irene and I are, are, are eager to step into this space is because we're kind of tired, right? It's just hard it's to, to, to try to fit in all the time and to be viewed a certain way and seen a certain way. And again, people that are listening that aren't LGBTQ, I hope they're like, oh, I know what that is because, again, it's not just just about us. It's it's anyone that we're trying to be seen and viewed and fit into what, right? Sometimes we again think that the church is expecting us to look like. And I hope, as we're praying for people to call, that we don't rule out LGBTQ people. So I would hope that if your stake president knew you were LGBTQ, that he would have not ruled you out to be the stake young men's president. You know. Um, and I think you weren't out at that time, so maybe that didn't happen in that case. But I and we did a podcast with um, Travis and Margaret Stewart, episode one seventy seven, and he's came out as gay after serving as a mission president. Um, wonderful couple, a lot like you. Um, that would be a good episode, listeners, if you want to. After the two barrel podcast, if you want to listen to that one. Um, but I would just hope that we we need we shouldn't rule people out of a calling um, because of their sexual orientation. And I think we need to mature to the point that we can see 
people in all levels of the church and society that are straight and LGBTQ. And to me, that's what Elder Cook has invited us to do in unity and diversity. And then if you're LGBTQ, obviously, or just any of these groups we're talking about, and you see people like you serving, you have a feeling that someone like me is needed here and welcome here. And and to me, that's just part of the growth. The church under the umbrella of gathering Israel was sort of the doctrinal foundation for that, or I'm all alike under God and all needed. More thoughts from either of you? That um, as you shared that, again, I'm remembering the meeting on Sunday and how many hands went up. And I don't know why we have more people in the church identifying. I don't know. Maybe because now I get to identify because it's safe spaces are being yeah. created. So I don't know if if the reasons why the numbers are, I know I've heard people say, well, the reasons why people, why more people are coming out or why we have more LGBTQ in the church is because the church is somehow capitulating or the church is, is, you know, trying to, to be more viewed a different way. And so we're going to kind of have less um, rigid stand. I don't just people have, I've heard people say, um, and I think that, that as we have more and more um, people, that identify in the church, that we're creating a kinder church yeah, and a church more prepared for the second coming that will be more compassionate and more charitable. And so whether it's because the church is, is, is speaking about it differently and so people feel more comfortable, or if more people are identifying and stepping forward and so the church is responding, I, I don't know. I just know that, that it's a blessing to the church and we, it will help us be more prepared for that millennial church when it arrives. Any more comments either of you would like to share? Anything else? Or any? Thank you so much. Mm, I don't That's think it. so. Um, this has just been a moving podcast. It's always hard for me to bring these podcasts to closure because I just feel this is sacred ground to have somebody like this couple in my home. And the honor it is to have their story come to a wider audience. It's heroes like them that make this podcast possible, that share their stories. I pray that you'll use their story to help us come together as the body of Christ, as Paul talks about in Corinthians 12. I think it's Paul or Peter, Paul. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I just, I hope this is the beginning of, of, of new chapters in your life that you will continue to talk about this. And this won't be a one-off and this will be, and that this will also open the doors for many more to talk about their experiences. I think, you know, I've have great hope when I see LGBTQ Latter-day Saints stepping forward and sharing their stories and their books being at Desert Book and serving in more prominent positions. And I just think that's not a sign of the last days or a sign that some of these narratives that more people are stepping forward as LGBTQ. I think that the same number of percent of the population has been LGBTQ. It's just they've learned not to hate this part about themselves and accept this and and even accept their heavenly parents accept this about them. And then that creates a whole ability to move forward in a much less shaming, hopeful way, staying connected to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So um, thank you. And we're super excited that you'll get to meet our children and that those that listen to the podcast will get to hear from them. Uh, we're very excited about that. They're they're amazing people. Well, on behalf of Alec and Irene, this is Richard Osler signing us from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>